0: Well, in the Gospel of Mark in uh, chapter 4, as I said, we're still in the midst of what you might call these garden parables, and we're going to look at the last two. So you see the title, The Parables of the Seeds, because one is about how the seed grows in the ground, and the other is probably more familiar, which is the, the mustard seed. And you remember, Jesus starts these parables, this teaching, to explain to his disciples about the kingdom. About how the gospel advances, how the kingdom is going to grow and we've been looking at it of this is how evangelism takes place. the Word of God is like seed it the gospel is like seed it's it's cast and it falls on all different types of ground and some of that ground that grounds the heart and some of that ground bears fruit the seed germinates it grows and then it turns into into something with fruit and then and then some some does not it's it's not, uh, it's not the type of ground that, that receives, the, receives the gospel. Each of these parables is focusing on sowing and growth and, and the harvest. And, and they're meant to help the disciples and us shed light. In fact, Jesus, we've said numerous times, Jesus says if you mess this parable up, the parable of the sower and what follows, you're going to mess everything up. So, I mean, these are, these are massively important. And you remember there's only a small number of of followers at this point in Galilee. People weren't flocking into the kingdom, so Jesus helps set their expectations in order. He talks about good soil and bad soil. And the fact that they were listening to the word, the disciples were receiving the word is the evidence that they were true followers. And because of that, he says, I'm going to explain these parables to you. You'll receive more revelation because you received who I am. But those who are outside are going to receive less. And just to make sure that they didn't misunderstand, he he, he gives them the parable that we looked at last time, which is the parable of the of the lamp. The light which they had received had had been given to them to be shared. They were to cast the seed. They were to shine the light. Jesus knows the hearts of the individuals in Galilee. And while he may speak in parables and veil the truth because they'd already made their final decision about Christ, he's not going to cast the pearls before the swine, if you will. That's not the plan for the kingdom, for for the people who had received it. The disciples are to shine that light. They're to cast that, that seed. And so... In verses 21 through 25, he gives that, that parable. And, and Michael read the, the, the two that we're going to look at uh, this morning. These final two parables that begin in verse 26 of Mark chapter 4 describe the, the powerful and unseen work of the Word of God in the hearts of people. And the unbelievable growth of the kingdom, it's going to start small, it's going to look small, but whenever it comes to its full, into its fullness, it's going to be, it's going to be massive. The parables teach us how the gospel and the kingdom work. It's a lot like that pumpkin vine that that I mentioned, the seed falls in the ground whenever Faithful people cast the seed and shine the light, and once it does, it starts working, but that work is out of our sight. And it starts, to as it, as it grows, it grows into something big. It starts as a seed and then turns into a, a massive, massive plant. There is life in the seed, and you and I should not underestimate its power. The disciples should not underestimate the power of the Word of God. And the future results that it will that it will produce. And I find it interesting. The first parable, uh, and and really the the parable of the lamp, is all about is all about the soil. The sower goes out to sow, but it's all about the soil. And this these last two, they're all about the seed. It's it's the growing seed, and it's the it's the parable of the of the mustard seed. And so if I was going to outline this for you this morning, guys, you're going to have to control it there, I guess, I would say how the gospel works and what it will produce. It's very simple, but that's exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to them. How the gospel works, how the word of God works, once the seed is cast and it lands upon the good ground. He's already told us that there's certain ground where the the gospel falls, the seed falls, and falls by the wayside or on rocky soil or in thorny soil, and it does not produce anything. What happens when it falls on good ground? How the gospel works. And then ultimately... What will that produce collectively? What's the kingdom going to look like? That's the parable of the mustard seed. So it's the power of the seed in verses 26 through 29. And then there's the progress from the seed in verses 30 and 32. And then he brings us back where we where we started in verses 33 and 34. As sowers in the kingdom which is what you and I are, we're sowers, we're seed sowers and light casters, we must be reminded that there's power in the seed. God's work comes in his time, it happens in his way, and our efforts are to sow the seed, but human effort can't cause the seed to grow, and human insight can't explain the kingdom. Let's look at this first parable where he, the theme is the power in the seed. He gives us in verses 26 and 27 the role of the, of the sower. Let's look at verse 26. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night. He goes to sleep by night. He rises the next day, and the seed should sprout and, and grow. The seed sprouted and it grew. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, and then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts forth the sickle, because the harvest had come. He says in verses 26 and 27, he describes the, the role of the sower, which is to scatter seed. And then he shows the results in verse 28, are in the soil. And then he ends up showing the return from the seed, which is the harvest, in verse, verse 29. Now, what I find really interesting is this parable is unique to Mark. It's not in the other Gospels. It's, it's here in Mark. And Jesus has already talked about the condition of the soil and likened that to the hearts of men. And now he shows them where the real power lies. It's not in the ground Yeah, you have to have good ground, but if you don't have any seed, nothing's going to happen. From the seed comes the plant. From the plant comes the grain. And with the grain brings the harvest. He points them to where the real power lies. It's it's in the seed. Notice the emphasis. The farmer sows the seed. The kingdom of God. He's describing the kingdom, how things are going to work in the kingdom in verse 26. As if a man should scatter seed. The farmer sows the seed. But then he goes to sleep. And he rises the next morning, and he does that day after day, and the seed does its work, and it says he doesn't know how that happened. Now, it doesn't mean that, that the farmer went out and sowed and didn't expect the seed to grow, like, like he came out. He, he's just casting seed and doesn't know what the seed's going to do, so he comes out one day and says, golly, how'd that happen? You know, like, I didn't know anything was going to come up out of the ground. I mean, the farmer is sowing the seed because he expects the seed to do something. And the seed has the power. But the farmer doesn't understand what happens once the seed got, in, got under the ground. It just simply means he doesn't have anything to do with it. What happened underground, he can't see that work. He has nothing to do with that work. He sows the seed. And Jesus has already defined the scene for us back in verse 14. As the Word of God, the sower sows the Word of God. And here is a man sowing the Word of God. And after he sows the Word of God, he goes to sleep. And he rises by day, and the seed sprouts, and it grows. And he himself does not know how that work takes place under the ground. His work is unseen, and it's unaffected by the sower. And Jesus' point to the disciples is, is your task is to cast the seed, but you have no control over what the seed does, or what the soil does for that matter. You cast the soil, you cast the seed on the soil. And then some soil receives it and some doesn't. But the power is, is, is in the seed. Now I don't know about you, but, but that's comforting. It's not less work, (laughs) because you still have to sow the seed. But it's encouraging. The farmer still has to sow, but he's not responsible for making the, making the seed sprout. Have you ever planted bad seed? I oh, have. Yeah. I went to a lot of work to, to sow seed, and it turns out it's been bad. Well, you don't have that problem with the Word of God. There is no seed from the Word of God that's bad. The Word of God will perform, it will accomplish exactly what God intended it. It, it, it's impregnated with God's power. In the sphere of salvation, our role as a farmer is we sow the seed and then we go to bed at night. That doesn't mean that we don't care what happens with the seed. The point is, our responsibility is to sow the seed. It's the seed that has the power to do something. And the seed, once it gets in the soil, it leaves our hands. God does that work. Think about what's happening in the soil, what's happening under the soil, uh you, you can if, if you've got a kid uh or child you, you you have like ant farms where where you can you know, they've got that glass thing where you can actually see how the ants are doing their thing underground. Have you ever they make those with seeds. It's really neat. If you put a you put a seed in the ground and it kinda mashes it between two plexiglass pieces and uh, you put the seed in the ground and then all of a sudden you'll watch it die and it'll decay. And then, and then the next thing you know, this, this little thing you know, comes out of it and it's green and it begins, it begins to grow. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's allowing us to see through the plexiglass of the heart and sees, see what happens. What he, what he causes to happen in the hearts of men when the gospel is, is, is sown. The seed is described as it goes in the ground, it dies, and it brings forth forth life. And the seed has that ability in itself. That's what Jesus is saying. He's describing the power of the gospel. Hidden inside those simple words. That Christ was crucified for your sins. That he lived a a righteous life that you didn't, but you should have. That he died a punishing death in your place, that he willingly laid his life down, absorbed the wrath of God on, on your behalf and on my behalf. He received that wrath. It was, God's wrath was extinguished. What you and I deserved, Christ absorbed. He was the substitute for you. The substitutionary life, the righteousness of Christ. He earned the way into heaven that you and I didn't earn. And he died as a substitute in our place, taking the penalty for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And he has the power to forgive you because of that. He has the power to give you eternal life. And if you will repent and believe, if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved from the wrath that is to come. There's power in that. Have you ever driven down the interstate and you, and you saw a well-intentioned, um, uh, what, what would I say this, a well-intentioned um, text evangelist that wrote on a bridge, Jesus saves. You know, we speak in 151 characters or whatever, Jesus saves. You ever, you ever driven by dry and saw that? Well, I'm not s- encouraging you to, to, go, uh, to go evangelize that way, But I am encouraging you that whenever you share the message of Jesus Christ, there's power in that message. And you have no idea what that message is going to do in the heart. But God does. It has everything in it to ignite a soul. You ever been part of that? You ever shared the gospel with someone? And you watched the light bulb came on? I've had both experiences. I never will forget one of my best friends that was an unsaved man in West Virginia, and I can I can weep even thinking about him now because he's he's outside of the kingdom, and he doesn't know the Lord, and he was in my wedding, and I love him, and I remember his his girlfriend that they were both living an immoral and godly life. We had a revival, and I invited her to church, and she came, and at the end of the service. We called people that wanted to respond to the gospel to come forward, and they did. And I can remember my pastor pointing to me, and I'd been praying my head off for this girl all week, and I can remember uh, her coming, and and he pointed at me, and I came, and I I, I knelt there to to deal with her, And, and I can remember the look on her face was like, okay, what do I do now? And being a young believer, I said, well, you know, you pray, you call upon the name of the Lord, you confess your sin, you ask Jesus to come in your heart. You, I mean, everything that I could think of, you know, the gospel's already been preached. She, She's responded. And I prayed with her and there wasn't, you know, much response at all. She left that night. I invited her to come back the next night. I said, praise God, you've trusted the Lord. And and, and, and it's a new life, and I can't wait to pray for Jimmy, and, 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 and see what's going to happen in him. And rather than come to revival, the next night she went out with Jimmy and got drunk and never, ever came back. And there was absolutely no change whatsoever in her life. And then I've been on the other side of the coin where I've been a fumbling, bumbling idiot and I have sowed the gospel and nothing happened and I bumped into the tree and the fruit fell off in my hands. Have you ever been there when you shared the word? And, and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and it's not one of those looks like, what do I do now? They know exactly what to do now because God has opened their eyes And they understand the condition of their heart. And they have ears to hear and eyes to see. And they have understanding. It's amazing. And then they start to follow Christ. And they grow and they grow. How in the world did that happen? How in the world did that happen in the person that trusts Christ and follows Christ and becomes a true disciple and grows earth? Well, I can tell you how it didn't happen. You didn't make that happen, and I didn't make that happen. You didn't reach into their hearts and open their eyes. You sowed the seed, and that seed has power, and it has work in itself, and God did the heart work. And that's Jesus' point to the disciples, who were discouraged about the small numbers of their followers. The point is, the seed has the power, and you don't. So stop acting like you do. (laughs) Stop fearing that if it's, it's on you in order to change people. Just tell the truth. Stop sulking when people reject you, reject it as if they rejected you and just start sowing seed. That's our responsibility. All you do is speak the truth, leave the results to God, and that's it, or go to sleep, as it says. And that's not fatalistic, like, well, I, I guess I'll just have to leave it to God as if you had some other some other option to take matters in your own hands. Let me tell you something. I've read the Bible. I know what hell's like. I don't want anybody to go there. And I've walked the streets of Charleston preaching the gospel to anybody who would hear. I've passed out tracts till I'm blue in the face. I've shared the gospel with thousands of people. If I could reach in their heart and make them believe and do something, I promise you, before God Almighty, I would do it. But I have no power. But you know what I do have? I have the responsibility to sow the seed. I have the responsibility to tell the truth. If I sow the seed and tell the truth, it's going to fall on good ground. Yes, it's going to fall on bad ground, but it's also going to fall on good ground. And when it falls on good ground, guess what's going to happen? That seed has power in it to bring forth life. And when that life comes forth, it goes through the complete process and comes to harvest. Look at what it says here in verse 27. He should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. And when the grain ripens, immediately he puts forth the sickle because the harvest has come. That seed has the power that once it starts, it's going to come all the way to... The harvest. The only human act in salvation is cast the seed. It's God's work and he will work. Think about what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, 15 and 16. I am eager to preach the gospel also to those who are in Rome. Why? We teach our kids this all the time in TCS and youth group and our own children. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto or for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Now being ashamed doesn't mean like you're feeling embarrassed to share it. This is not the verse that that, that has to do with, with your shame. It, it, it literally means when you share it, the gospel won't let you down. It won't put you to shame if you trust in the gospel, because God has infused it with his power. It is the power. It it contains the power of God to bring about salvation. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3 about how churches grow and how missions work is done? You remember they were arguing, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of this mission's organization, I'm of that mission's organization. Servants through whom... You believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. Both of those acts of Paul and Apollos are tending seed. And yet, once the seed goes in the ground and goes underground, God does work. And God is the one that causes the growth. What would you think of a farmer that that plants his garden stays awake all night watching the dirt where he sowed the seed. And don't get over-spiritualized on me and say, well, he would be a caring farmer and he loved his garden and just wanted it to grow, so he stayed up, stayed up all night watching it. I mean, a, a, a farmer doesn't sow seed in the ground and then stay up all night watching the ground. I come out the next day and I look and see if something's come up. I'm expecting something to come up. I'd be disappointed if something doesn't come up. But if I was somebody who stayed awake and thought somehow that whatever my efforts would be would cause the seed to do something under the ground, I I think the farmer would be nuts. Will that make the seed grow or grow faster? Farmer plants goes to bed after a hard day's work, feeling good, they labored in the field. In fact, it's not mentioned in the parable, but I know from gardening, and I'm sure some of you do too. once you put the seed in the ground, you should leave it alone if you mess with it too much you can you can do more damage than help. so get to work, sowing, but trust in the power of the of the of the seed that's under the ground once it begins that grows growth happens in the soil and it doesn't stop until the harvest look at verse 28 again first the grain then the head and after that the full grain in the head and then the harvest The soil is described here as the receiver of the seed, but the seed has the power, and once God's power starts, it produces the, it produces the crops. This is the entire process of salvation, folks, right here. Salvation, sanctification, fruit bearing, and harvest, which is glorification. Salvation is the grain, there's first, there's a, there's a blade, and then a, and then a head, and then there's fruit bearing, and then there's the harvest of glorification and the grain is then gathered in the barn. Oh, I'm looking forward to be gathered into the barn. It won't stop working until it brings forth fruit. What God begins, he completes. Philippians 1.6 For I'm confident of this very thing. But he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will perform it, will complete it until the day of of Christ Jesus. Look at how he makes that abundantly clear in verse 28. Look how verse 28 starts. Besides describing the whole process, look at verse 28. For the earth yields crops by itself. I mean, the whole emphasis here is once the farmer does his work, the power of the seed takes over and the seed does what the seed does. <laughs> the earth yields its crops by itself. It's, it's the, the Greek word automatos. And I'm not trying to impress you with my Greek. It's important. It's where we get the word automatically. It's automatic. The earth yields crops automatically. Because the seed has the power within it. Once the seed is sown and it goes in the ground, it's divinely automatic. You can't start it. You can't stop it once it starts. Once it starts, it goes to the end, and then the harvest comes. All you and I do is sow the seed, do our work in the field, and then enjoy the harvest. And I understand evangelism is usually a group effort. If you do get to bump into that person and the fruit falls off in your hands or in your lap, you, you're, you're probably bearing the fruit of hundreds of other people. People that have prayed, people that have witnessed. Now, you think about the individuals that were part of that process that didn't get the, the privilege of actually harvesting. They may be discouraged. Man, I have, I have prayed for, for whoever... My spouse, my loved one, my friend, I have witnessed to my brother for 30 years, whatever it might, might be. You need to hear this parable. Sow the seed. That's your task. Keep, keep praying. And if you get the privilege of harvesting, don't get proud as if you're a better soul winner than anybody else. Someone coming to Christ is a product of many people working, some praying, some loving, some, some modeling life, some sharing, usually more than once, and finally, some helping in the harvest. And, and it's hard work. Sowing the seed in the hot sun of this world is hard. and God may, may have you, you you sow in a season and someone else gets to put the sickle in. But you're going to enjoy the harvest one day. You know who's going to get to rejoice in heaven over the harvest? Every person that's been part of that process. It's not going to just be the person that they got the privilege to lead them to the Lord. The same individual that prayed, very begin with, where God put a burden on their heart to pray for somebody that, that, that they rejected. The ten other people that shared the gospel with them that they didn't that they didn't respond to, they're going to be in heaven. And they're going to get to rejoice in the, in the harvest. And everyone will take part in that. But you know who we're going to give credit to? In, in heaven, when you get to enjoy the harvest, you're going to say, I am just so thankful to be part of the Lord's harvest. I'm just so thankful to be, to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I'm just so thankful to have been able to be faithful and cast some seed that God would would do something, would do something with it. I think he's trying to encourage the disciples, don't stop sowing just because you can't see what's happening under the soil. God's at work. I'm preaching all over Galilee. I'm going to send you out preaching all over Galilee. And people are going to reject you. And there may be one or two that are going to receive you. Don't think that there's a problem with the gospel. Don't think there's a problem with the seed. And don't think that nothing's happening because something massive is happening. Luke 10:2. Whose harvest is it? The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into His harvest. Whose harvest is it? It's the Lord's. What are you? A laborer. What do laborers in God's harvest do? They sow seed and they gather, they gather grain they sow seed and they gather grain and the disciples are to rejoice in that and so are we because when the grain is fully ready then the then the harvest the harvest comes that's the first parable now let's look at the second one because the second one is going to focus on what the kingdom is going to is going to be like as all of this Faithful seed sowers are doing their work and the seed has the power in it and it's taking root and it's producing. And what God starts, he completes and there will be a harvest come. What's it going to look like when the when the harvest comes? In verse verse 30. And he said to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we shall we picture it? it is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown in the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its under its shade. So if the if the first parable emphasizes the power of the seed, this one it emphasizes the progress from the seed. What's going to happen when all these seeds are sown? Now, we just preached this parable from, from Matthew, Matthew 13, back in, back in January. So I won't spend a whole lot of time or, or, or cover that, that same ground. But it is important to understand this in the context here. In verse 30, he gives us the, the topic and the contrast and the, and the time and the benefits. He says the topic is the kingdom of God. There's a contrast that he's making here between smallest of all seeds to the largest of all garden plants. There's a time factor when it has grown. So it's something in the future that he's talking about. And then he talks about the benefits. When this comes to fruition, birds come and find rest in in this mustard plant that started as an itty bitty itty bitty seed now this parable as to where the the one before is only in mark this one is well known it's about as well known as the parable of the sower because it's in in the other gospels and notice how he starts how shall we picture the kingdom of God? To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? I mean think about Jesus sitting around his disciples and says, uh, How can I give you an illustration about the kingdom? What will the what will the will the the final outcome be? Or with what parable shall we picture it? How shall we look into the future and imagine what it will what it will be like? His parable is to remind the disciples of where it's all going. And right now, it looked frail and so small, and so it gives them a very simple understanding that they would all all get. It's like a mustard seed. And this is probably a black mustard seed. And it was the smallest seed that the Israelites used in their farming. It was about the size of a grain of sand, or about the size of a seed tick. Have you ever found seed ticks on you? You can't see them very well. You have to look very close. It's very small, about the size of a grain of sand. But when that thing grows, it grows up to 10 to 15 feet high and 5 to 6 feet in diameter. Now, imagine, I'm just barely 6 foot. So stand another person on top of me and then go another 3 feet and I hope I'm not five to six feet wide, even though I, I feel that way sometimes. Think about how big that is. Something that started as the size of a grain of sand or a seed tick gets, gets that large. It may look small now, but it's going to get massive at the end of the growing season. And his point is the kingdom right now is small, but it's advancing. And when it reaches full growth, it's going to be massive. Massive. And that outcome, the outcome of the the kingdom is inevitable because there's power in the seed. And that seed looks like an itty bitty mustard seed. But whenever that seed comes up out of the ground, it's going to be massive. It's not just based on what it looks like with 12 guys and a few others. And the kingdom will will come out of the ground. That will come out of the ground one day will be amazing. And when the Messiah sits on the throne in Israel, all nations will come to the kingdom. Think about. How many grains of sand it would take to fit in, in the space of 15 feet high and 6 feet in diameter? It would be millions and millions and millions. And think of the millions and millions and millions of people that have trusted the gospel since this moment right here. And there's still more to come, isn't there? And What's the message? Small beginnings are no indication of where God is going to take something. And the outcome of our labor is not based on what it looks like when it starts. Aren't you thankful for that? I mean, don't you say that about your own Christian life? What's that little cute picture that we have? The little girl that says, be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. Aren't you glad that God's not finished with you yet? Aren't you glad God's not finished with me yet? (laughs) The end is not based on the beginning. And we've experienced that. Think about the missions. Think about the, the work that, that has been done all around the world that started with, with one individual. Maybe think about a project that you've been involved in. You should expect the same in the future if you're sowing the seed and sowing God's seed. We look at numbers and we look at our effort and we think so small, and rightly so, but God says don't think too small. Yes, have a healthy underestimation of your ability, but don't underestimate the power of the gospel and what God can do. We imagine the what the results will be in our feeble efforts and we think it may fail because we are so few or so little. But God says, don't judge the results by what it seems when it starts. Friday night, I get the privilege to be at Dr. Earl Miller's homegoing service. And I want to tell you, it blessed my heart, encouraged my heart. It really did. As a preacher, it encouraged me to continue to be faithful. And there was a man who sang a song. I'm studying for this passage, and he's singing this song. And I, and I, I had a hard time not, not smiling and crying. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and we will win it if we go in Jesus' name. You remember that song? 1927. The Gaithers brought it back to life at some point. Little is much. When God is in it, look how far the blessings of the kingdom extends. Look at verse 32. It says, "When it is sown, it grows up." It says the same thing. "Once it's sown in the ground, it's going to grow and becomes greater than all the herbs, and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under, under its shade." the birds of the air come and nest in the branches the these are the the unbelievers of the of the world it's a reference to ezekiel chapter 17 verse verse 23 it's a messianic prophecy on the high mountain of israel i will i will plant it god says and i'll bring forth uh boughs and uh, and bear fruit and become a stately cedar, and birds of every kind will, will nest under it. They will nest in the shade of its branches. It's a messianic prophecy, which says, under the rule of the Messiah, whenever Jesus, King Jesus, sets on the throne of his father David, in the literal kingdom, nations will, will come to salvation, and those nations are described as birds when they come to lodge in the branches of the messianic kingdom. The kingdom goes far beyond the twelve, and the few gathered with Jesus right now, it will reach an entire nation of Israel one day, even though Galilee is rejecting, and even though they're still rejecting today. And one day it will reach all the nations of the world. And in the kingdom, all the nations of the earth will find shade from the, from the heat of this world in, in Israel's Messiah. How do I know that? Revelation 7 9 clearly tells us that. And after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no man could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, gathered around the throne in heaven. Revelation shows a people. From not just Israel, but every tongue and tribe and nation. And right now that's happening. The mustard plant is growing. It hasn't come to full, full size yet. And it was the twelve, and then Jesus with the twelve, and then the death and the burial and the resurrection, and then the ascension into heaven, and then the few hundred and... The Pentecost and then thousands after Pentecost, and thousands after that, and then it went from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the of the earth, and it's still going and it's going and it's going, and as God grows his church, it is the place where people can turn and find shade for their lives and food for their for their souls and he brings us back. Where we began. Look at verse 33. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to the disciples. If you are a disciple this morning, you have the privilege of hearing the word of God and gaining more and more and more. But if you're outside the kingdom, and you're trying to live life without Christ, and you're rowing hard in the hot sun, I believe me, I know, I've tried it. God promises shade for you, shade for your soul. But you're not going to find it outside of the church. Now, don't misunderstand me. You can sit on this church pew, these chairs your entire life, and go straight to hell. Being a church member doesn't bring you into the kingdom. But being in the kingdom means that you want to gather with other believers and you get more revelation and more teaching and more truth. But you know where that starts? That starts when that seed is cast and it falls on your heart. And God begins to do that work. And that work can look a lot of different ways. I'll tell you what it it was like with me. I'd heard the gospel a thousand times in my life. My mother prayed for me. And one morning, whenever I was at church, all of a sudden it made sense. And all of a sudden the light bulb came on. And all of a sudden I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden I knew that what that man was telling me was true. Not because of his abilities. I just knew something inside of me was telling me it is true. And then I did exactly what Jesus commanded. I repented and I believed. And I got to come into the kingdom. And I had rest for my soul. Is that you this morning? Are you sitting there and God is saying to your heart, what that man is saying to you is true? You may not even know me, but you know that what I'm saying is true. That is a witness of the Holy Spirit And I would encourage you not to turn him away. Not only will what you receive is life and abundant life, but you may never have another opportunity to have that work.